Justin Spaulding Show, episode 10. We're streaming everywhere. Everywhere being, oh wow, look at that delay. We're streaming on Periscope through Twitter. Uh, we're streaming on Facebook. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is pretty cool. All right. We're waiting for our clearance from LinkedIn because apparently you have to, it takes like six weeks to get approved to be able to stream live video through LinkedIn. So that's what we're going to do next. But anyways, February 26th, it's 12.08 p.m. Central Standard Time in Janesville, Wisconsin. And I'm here with Maudine and Ryder. And it's the 10th episode of the Justin Spaulding Show. So that means 10 consecutive weeks, right? Wow, we, started this, we started this thing just like Ryder one day. I'm like, yep, let's do it tomorrow. And Ryder was thinking we're going to start the middle of February. Nope, here we are in the middle of February, almost the end of February. We got 10, uh, 10 episodes in already. If you're watching on Instagram Live, you can leave questions there. If you're watching on YouTube Live, you can leave questions there because we got those up on our big screen in here. If you're watching on Periscope or Twitter, you can leave questions there. And if you're watching on Facebook, my personal page, you can leave questions there and we'll answer questions and hopefully get some topics coming in. We already have some pre-selected topics and questions. Um, so that being said, I mean, we're we got a lot of stuff going on. Like, it's like gadgets everywhere in here today. I did not know that these. Um... Oh shit! Plugged in. <laughs> I did not know that these things. These things need batteries. Oh well, yeah, it's like automated. I like... I had no idea. I thought it was just. I thought it was like a. I thought it was like a sensor, like a gravity type thing. I I was just thinking like a level. You know, like when you're building something, you got a level and it has a little air bubble. I thought like there was like an air bubble in there. I probably just broke that, huh? No, I think it um, was. Yeah, we got the ring light up in here. We got the camera stand. We got three laptops. We got the phone going live on it. We got the microphone. We got the, what's that called? The iSteady Mobile. So, wow. All right, cool. Let's go. On, let's jump into the first question. How's it going? So, this one came from my dad. It's going uh, good here. Um, yeah, my mom and dad are coming by. Or if they're flying, they're, they are driving right now from Kansas City to Florida. So, um, so yeah. Glad I'm not driving right now, I guess. I don't know. So it's going good. Next question. No questions. Just want to say that you're the man. Keep dropping the knowledge bombs. This came from um, Dr. Drew. Uh, he's actually one of our investors, uh, Elshevsky, and uh, he, um, he's one of our investors. His family's invested in a couple of our properties, and uh, they just opened up their own shop called The Wellness Way up in Fitchburg. And so he's a chiropractor, and they do like, they help with people with their diets and just overall healthy living up there. So I was up there on, it was my chiropractor appointment. They got a lot of free. I was like, I, when I left that place, Drew, by the way, if you're listening, when I left that place, I'm like, oh my God, these, the, my, I, it should have been a free appointment for me that day because I just dropped like an hour of straight. It should have been a podcast. <laughs> That's what it should have been. It should have been a podcast live. He should have just been sitting here because there was a lot of, I was just like, we were just going back and forth and just like rattling off business strategies and tactics and, tactics and mindsets. Um, and it would have been actually really, really good content and footage. But, uh, but yeah. As I left Drew, I was like, man, that, that should have been a free appointment right there with all that knowledge. But you're an investor, so it's all right. Cancels, cancels it out. Uh, what do you recommend to, uh, to do when all the real estate in your local is way overpriced? Do you overpay and just put more down or just keep saving? Thanks. That came from Landon Turner. Uh, I mean, the big thing is 
it's way overpriced. It, like, what are you comparing it to? Last year's prices, or what? Where, where? Why in your mind do you think it's overpriced? Is it overpriced because it doesn't cash flow? Um, to me, that's that's like overpriced. Uh, or is it overpriced because you're looking at 2017 prices versus 2021 prices? Uh, or you're looking at 2008 prices compared to 2021 prices? What, what what is your definition, or how are you coming up with this overpriced? Um, uh, viewpoint because if you have a long-term mindset if you're willing to be in the game and 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 be uh, committed to a property and committed to real estate investing anything you buy today if you if you can hold on for 30 years you're going to be good it's there's going to be a point in there where yes it's going to go down and the thing is is the sooner that you buy something you hope that's further out because the sooner like if you buy something today usually the most risk that you have on the table is the first couple of years in a deal um so you obviously want to find a way to make sure you, you're going to make it through. But if you're investing not with a, just a short-term mindset, but investing with the mindset that I can, if I have to hold on to this for five years or 10 years or 30 years or 100, like the longer that runway is in your mindset is, then the, the more safe you'll be. And if you have a plan with like excess cash and stuff like that, if you have a plan to make it through those downtimes, then you're going to be all right. Once again, it's just what is your viewpoint um, and how are you looking at things? Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's there's deals that we're doing right now where there's there's a deal in 2016, our 88. I think, did we talk about this on the last episode or am I, I might have had the conversation with someone on the phone the other day, actually, so I can't remember. I Some of my stuff, like it just like blurs together. But um, in 2016, we bought an 88 unit and people were like, what? You paid 60, it was like $65,000 a unit for that? And I'm like, yeah, like, because they viewed that then in 2016 as overpaying. That building's worth 130,000, 120 to 145,000 dollars a unit today, probably. Um, and so, you know, this whole is it overpriced? But I looked at that deal back then, and I'm like, it's not overpriced because it's already going to cash flow six to ten percent. You know, year one, obviously, we ended up having to, you know, we should have brought more cash to the table right away just to take care of boilers and a couple roofs and stuff like that. But we got it straightened out, taken care of. But it like people were telling me that I overpaid for it, even though it was cash flow and like crazy. And it's the same thing with other properties we've bought since then. They're like, wow, you way overpaid on that. And I'm like, and and turns out like I'll buy something. Like Springdale we bought for ninety three thousand ninety three thousand dollars a unit. Once again, other people thought it was expensive. And then, you know, six months after that, there's a sale right down the road for a hundred and thirty five thousand dollars a unit. And right now things in that area are at that price point or higher. And so it's like that are there are deals that are at that price point or higher that now some of those deals are further ahead of what we are at springdale because they're already done with the remodeling and it's it's a stabilized asset we're not completely stabilized at springdale for example so would we get that full amount no we'd probably get you know 105 to 115 today uh we paid ninety three thousand dollars per unit you know a year and a half ago um so it's just what's your what's what's the definition of overpriced you know and how long are you willing to be in the game and how long of a mindset are like how long of a mindset are you um willing to have when you're when you're playing the game of real estate so so yeah sometimes you look at just paying more of a down payment um which we've done i mean we've put you know there's there's initial deals that we had 20 percent down and we've put anywhere between 24 basically 24 to 30 percent down with some of the deals that we're doing now um and on top of that we're bringing five hundred thousand to one and a half million to two million dollars extra to the deal 
to be able to make sure that we have cash on hand so that if we need you know four new roofs like we happen to have at Springdale like crap always goes wrong we have the cash to be able to to be able to do it uh, so that's kind of our mindset if you play with a long enough mindset and you have cash available and you bring excess cash that, that's why there's a there's a question I took on Instagram before we went live everywhere else someone's like I got thirty thousand dollars where should I invest you know you could invest with somebody if they're taking less than fifty thousand dollars our minimum is fifty thousand dollars if you have thirty I'm challenging you to invest that in yourself or into a business or you know really into yourself so that you can go out and have you know start start earning more money so that you can have a hundred thousand dollars of savings right so invest in yourself get better at get better at sales or get better at whatever so that you can go out and have you know a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars of savings now when you put a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollar chunk to work it's way more worth it than putting a thirty thousand dollar chunk to work and if you put the thirty thousand dollar chunk to work now you have less funds to be able to put into yourself for growth right for for growing yourself um so that's that's my advice on that but um yeah landon good question though uh appreciate you following along next question modine Uh, so this is a pretty good question. I, I think we've had a similar question like this before in recent episodes, but not necessarily the way that I'm thinking about it now or going to answer it. I don't know. Some of these questions do get repetitive, I think. But but I think that the the things that I think, well, and this is actually someone that you should look to, to, to uh, mentor from. I always say the same things because it's based off my experience. But sometimes I say it from a little bit different angle or viewpoint. And so I think every different uh, time people hear me answer it, it clicks with different people, right? Like if Ryder asked me a question, one way that I answer it might make Ryder understand, but Maudine's sitting in here, he's like, what the hell is he talking about? But now someone else could ask a similar, very similar question and I answer it in maybe a slightly different way that makes more sense to Maudine. So that being said, the question is, how should I go about looking for mentorship and what are the avenues of those uh, to get more mentorship? By the way, I don't think we have any viewers on Facebook. I don't know how to oh, tell. Can you, can you... It just says live. Oh, we got one. Um, so where should I? So the biggest thing with mentorship, when you're first starting, cast a wide net so you can kind of get a taste of everything. But when you start to go down the path, you cannot listen to too many people. You have to be open-minded, but you can't be too open-minded. Because if you're zero open-minded, now you're just never gonna have pro pro uh, progress. But if you're too open-minded, you're gonna listen to myself and you're gonna listen to Dave Ramsey and we're giving different advice and now you're not gonna do anything either, right? So being too open-minded and being not open-minded are basically the same thing. So you need to get your point to or yourself to the point where you're maybe listening to one or two people, maybe three people as mentors, but you don't wanna cast such a wide net that you get contradicting advice and because now you're just not gonna act on anything. Right. And so you don't want that to be, you know, but at the same time, you want diverse opinions as well. But opinions are different. Being able to hear those opinions and not take them, be being um, confident enough and being in the zone enough to not take them is is wise. And to have the ability to be able to do that is wise. Um, but you just want to make sure that the mentor, the person that you're learning from. Is doing what you're is on the path of you know, and, and is doing what you want to be doing. And then you got to make sure that you can't listen to the wrong person and listen to that mentor at the same time. So you just got to be very selective when you when you go about looking for mentorship. Um, and, and it's okay to like think that someone is your mentor, you're really looking up to them. And then you start to go down that path with them and you realize, hey, wait, this is actually not 
not it, right? But then you gotta identify, is that truly not it? Or is that mentor just telling you, this is how you have to do something and you're like, oh, I don't wanna do that activity, right? So is it an excuse to opt out or is it truly not the path you wanna be going down? So those are things that you need to think about with mentorship. Um, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have a ton of mentors. I have a, I have a very small few select people that I'm, I really look at. And that's what's allowed me, because if I started listening, once again, if I started listening to too many people, once I was getting on my path, I would have never been able to buy the 199 unit that we bought. I would have never been able to buy or put together the funds that, that we have put together where we have 65 different investors. Um, I would have never got to the point where we have a really good relationship with a, a company in Chicago that's invested millions with us. Um, so just be selective and then avenues. I mean, then, you know, people out there that are doing, doing um, the biggest thing when it comes to learning and all that stuff, right? The avenues is there's so much out there that once you kind of pick a mentor, typically, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have courses, they have seminars, they have, you know, clubs that you can get private coaching and there might be 50 to 100 people in the room. And there's so many people that are like, oh, I don't want to pay $5 a day or I don't want to pay $2,000 a year. Or, I don't want to pay $5,000 a year. And it's like, dude, the person that you're probably learning from, that, that the person that you're learning from, they're doing what you want to be doing. $5,000 for a year is nothing. $2,000 for a year is nothing. Like $10,000 for one hour of someone's time is nothing if it's going to save you if it's gonna save you five years, if it's gonna save you two years, if it's gonna save you a ton of headaches, it's it's nothing. So um, there's a lot of different avenues out there. And once again, you, you have to be, once you kind of select the mentor and the things that you wanna learn, once you select those things, you gotta be willing to put dollars behind it, put time behind it. Um, to, to, you gotta show up. You gotta show up to build your skills and to be able to learn from that person. You gotta make an investment. Um, you got to be willing to, it's, it's almost like buying a seat at the table. You know, I mean, like, like Eddie, who's either listening live or watching live right now, or will probably check out the recording of this podcast. He's down in, I, I believe he's in Alabama, but he's gone from zero to about 40 units all by himself. He's, he's in his mid twenties. Um, didn't really have any help, but he, he paid for my time. He paid for, um, my courses. And I think maybe a total of like six, five thousand, six thousand dollars is what he's paid me. But he's been able to go from zero to forty units. So he didn't look at this as a five. He didn't look at it as a, like a five thousand dollar waste or expense. He viewed it as an investment in himself. Too many other people are like, oh, I'm not paying. I'm not paying that. But then they'll go buy five thousand dollars of Dogecoin and you know hope, pray that they buy it at the right moment, right? So put money into yourself. Build yourself. Build your skills. You know, buy your way into rooms, buy your way into in front of other people who are doing what you want to be doing. You know, it's, the best advice is not free. Um, now, that being said, I have a ton of free stuff out there, but it's very it's hard for me. Not everything that I say, I, I'm not going to be able to give every single person that the, the, the perfect advice when I don't know the actual situation. Right. Even when someone tries to DM me on Instagram and they, they have you know, two paragraphs written, I still don't really have enough context. It takes time to give actual one-on-one -on -one good advice. It takes time to get all the context of the situation to be able to then be like, okay, what would I do? Because I got to put myself in those shoes. So I need all the details. I need the perspective. And that takes time, right? So the best, the absolute best learning lessons 
are you actually going out and doing them and making a mistake and you know whatever then the next one is obviously being able to pay someone else for that advice so you can skip it right and by paying you're going to hopefully get into a smaller group or you know one-on-one -on -one where now it's your exact problems right it's your exact issues that are in front of you and now the person that's giving the training or the coaching the advice um, if they're good at what they're doing, they're going to be able to give you much, 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 much better detailed advice because they're going to be able to put themselves in your shoes and, okay, what would I do here, right? So that's how I'd go about looking for mentorship in, in the avenues. Next. Uh, how to decide when to exit a deal. So for me, it's a feel thing a little bit, um, but it's also just once, when to me, it's like when does it make sense to take that money off the table to go put in another deal. So when we buy our deals, we can very quickly, as long as the macroeconomic environment doesn't change. So like the macroeconomic environment are more of, more things that we really don't have control over, right? I, I don't have the control over necessarily who's gonna be president or who, you know, who's in Congress or, you know, what certain laws might be passed or, you know, what I have very little control over that. I have very little control over the whole macro uh, economy, right? So as long as that's relatively stable, um, when we get into a deal, we buy deals that we can add value to relatively quickly. And so what I mean by that is we can take a $6 million building and two years later, it can be worth $10 million. Now, it's worth the $10 million based on the financials, the, you know, the, the net operating income and the, and the financials that we have for it. I do not go and get a loan against that $10 million and, and, and leverage against, you know, leverage as, as much as I can against it because I view that $10 million as we, we, we appreciate, we force the appreciation of that asset so quick that it's like, is it really real? Meaning if the macroeconomic environment changes, it will have an impact on that $10 million because it happened in two years, right? From 6 million to 10 million in two years, that's rather quick, right? So any upsetting of the macroeconomic environment will likely take that 10 million and bring it back down to, probably not back down to six, but maybe down to seven, maybe down to eight, maybe down to nine, right? So for me, I look at it, it's like, okay, in, the, in that two-year, four-year span, the first few years that we have a deal, if we can take that deal and accelerate that quickly where the $6 million, so for me to buy a $6 million deal, it's a $1.5 million chunk to $2 million chunk up front, right? Down payment, excess cash, we control a $6 million deal. To get the rest of that equity, right, the, the $6 million to $10 million, that's $4 million of equity, to get that, I'm going to have to refinance or sell. So if I refinance, now I get the 1.5 back plus the $4 million of upside. Now I can take the five and a half, six million dollars and go and buy, hopefully go and buy a, a $25 million building where we can take it from 25 to 36 in two to four to five, six, eight years, right? And then kind of do the same thing. So I try to always make, I look at like, you, your, your equity has, it gets to a point where it's basically a diminishing return, right? Because you can, I, I can't, this asset now that we took from 6 million to 10 million, or it's probably 12, I mean, we've probably doubled it. It's probably closer to 12. But I'm not gonna be able to take that asset from, from where it's at today after being in it for two to four years and accelerate another $6 million really quick or another $4 million really quick. Now I'm more constrained and just natural um, increases what are we what are we pointing at? 
Chat. Okay, gotcha. I'm gonna have to wait on natural, more natural increases that come from just holding property and the natural appreciation. I can't really force, and, and I can't really accelerate or force more appreciation. It's more of a waiting game at that point. So when it gets to that point, I, I've in, historically I have liked to take dollars off the table to then go rinse and repeat on a bigger property, like I just mentioned. If I if I went and sold that six million dollar deal that we bought, if it's worth ten now. If I sold it for 10, I'd get that $4 million equity that I built, right? I'd be able to unlock it in cash. I'd get the initial one and a half million back. We got five and a half million dollars of equity. Now we'll go buy a property that's 24, 25 million. Hopefully we got Greg Martin in the house again. We got uh, we got that, you know, five and a half million dollars of equity. Hopefully we'll buy a $25 million ish, 24, 23, 24, 25 million dollar ish building. That's a value add deal that once again, in a short time span, we can really force the appreciation, right? So that's how in and out of deals like that is what's allowed me to have a lot of success over the last, you know, you know, eight, nine years. But we also buy everything once again, going back to like the first question that we answered. Uh, we also look at, OK, what if we have to be in this deal for 10 years and every deal that I've done, I would have been OK, except for two. I would have been OK being in for 10 years. Um, and so when we've bought and sold, you know, dozen, a dozen, over a dozen deals in nine years, just having two that I kind of made a mistake on, which I can talk about later, um, which we still won there, but I would not have wanted to hold on to those deals for 10 or 15 years. That would have sucked. Um, so it's how can you, you got to, how to decide when to exit a deal. What I look at is when do I start to hit that diminishing returns on my equity that's in the deal? When does it make sense to then unlock that equity by selling? to then go rinse and repeat. Um, now, if you can get the right type of debt where you you can refinance and be a little bit more aggressive, get all your capital out, be a little bit more aggressive, and it's a non-recourse deal, okay, refinance and maybe look at doing that. Most people that are listening are not in a position. That's why I'm always against the refinance. Um, I'll break my own rule at some point, but it's gonna be a non-recourse deal, meaning if it goes bust, the only thing we lose is the property. We already got all of our money out and then some from that deal. Versus if you're, you know, like you're buying a deal, you guys, you know, riders buying a seven unit that closes in a couple weeks. That's there's probably a guarantee on that, that you guys got to guarantee it. Right. I'm not looking any any deal that has a guarantee on it. I'm not looking to leverage like crazy a second time around. So so look at how hard your equity is working. Uh, put that equity to work in a value add deal. Really push and force the appreciation. Unlock that equity. Go rinse and repeat. That's that's how I look. That's how I know when to exit and uh, move on from a deal. We're doing it right now, we might sell our 10 unit. Bought the 10 unit for, I can't remember the exact, $600,000, we've got it listed for 1.3. We bought it coming up you know, two and a half years ago, um, but we've done a lot of work there. We put $200,000 in, it was a freaking pain in the butt and a headache, but um, we've gotten to the point where it's just crushing it now. And I've and it's, and it's legitimately worth 1.2, 1 1.3, 1.35-ish. And so we're just going to put it on the market, see if we can unlock all that capital again and go rinse and repeat because we took it from we took it from 640. We took it from 640, 640,000 up to 12 to 14, right? In 3 years. I'm not going to however be able to take it from 12 to 14 up to 1.8 in another 3 or 4 or 5 years. It'll in fact it'll probably be another 10 years probably before it's that high. Because I forced it, because I bought an under, uh, underperforming asset, and we improved it, and that's how you can force that appreciation, appreciation so quick.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's how I look at that. I hope that, I don't know. I wish I knew who asked this question to see if they're watching to see if that makes, does that make sense though, Ryder yeah. to you? Yeah. Um, what questions do we have up there? Greg Martin, Tom Slayton. What's up, buddy? Uh, Greg Martin, how to get brokers to take you seriously as a new investor? 50K ready to go for triple net, but that's pretty small for an established broker. Who knows where bones are buried? Yeah, Greg, I mean, you, so once again, going back to the 50K of savings, like how can you get 150? How can you get 200? But at the same time, how can you just get started in a deal to start to make a name for yourself? Ryder and I were talking about this yesterday. Ryder's like, yeah, it's taking me forever to get people to get back to me doing this deal. I'm like, well, it's your first seven unit deal. The moment that you start doing a, a couple million dollar deal or you have a $35 million deal or a, and, and you've gotten people paid numerous times over and over again, they're gonna be a lot more responsive the next time you say, look, you better respond or I'm freaking moving on, Jimmy. Like, I'm, we're, we're going to a different banker next time, Jimmy, if you don't get your craft together. Right. And they're gonna be more responsive because now they know for sure that you're a closer and that you act and that they're, they're getting benefit from what's going on and, and serving you, right? At this point, I have zero problems calling my attorney at 11 p.m. or 12 p.m. Like whenever, if if certain things or if if certain things happen on Christmas Eve or whatever, like with this deal that we just closed in January, there was we were all had phone conferences on Christmas Eve, so that would not happen if it was my first deal and if it was a smaller deal. No one would have. Been, they were like, yeah, it'll wait till. But this was a big enough deal. They've everyone on that call had done uh, enough deals with me. They're like, okay, we got to make sure this happens. And, and certain things were starting to happen where it's like, it could have unraveled. And had that deal unraveled, me being almost a million dollars into it, hard of hard money. So if it falls apart, I lose a million dollars. Me telling those people, look, we we got to find a way to get this done. And those people got the hint that it's like, if we don't get it done, there's a chance that I that the people that were on the phone with me that day maybe you never use them again. You might start a whole new team if that happens to you, right? You lose a million dollars for not getting, right? So people will start to, I don't know how I even brought that up. Oh, that was the broker question from Greg. Yeah. Uh, Greg, and then Greg also said, so can Facebook, Facebook people can't see those? They, they can. Not the, so, no, because I can't see it on Facebook right now. I'm looking at my Facebook stream right now. I can't see, I can just see Tom Slayton said, what up, 25 minutes ago. So we can see. Up here on the screen, I can see Tom Slayton. That must have came from Facebook. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. So they see the screen yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, Duh. All right, yeah. Cool. All right. All right, next question. We got five viewers on Facebook now. I was looking down in the comments section. So. If I was 23 years old again, what would I do differently in my real estate investments? Did you ask this one, Ryder? No. 23 or if I was 23 years old again, what would I do differently in my real estate investments? 23 years, what year would that have been? That would have been uh that would have been 2012. It was basically when I started. I would have started I would have tried to get my foot in bigger deals earlier. That's what I would have tried to done. But you got to get your foot in the door wherever you can. So that's number 1. If there is, I don't have any regrets. So like, I don't really want to do anything over it. Cause the way that I did do it though, like buying those four units, the two four units to start with, I was doing everything. I was doing the leasing, the maintenance, well, parts of the maintenance. I was doing like demos. I was doing, you know, the marketing, the lease signing. I learned every single step. So all 30 positions that we have at this company today and soon to be probably close to 40 here pretty quick, I've done every role every role so i know the whole process right so that was the good thing about starting 
starting with the two four units. So I don't have any regrets. But looking back now, once again, if I could have bought 100 units or 20 units or 16 units, which I probably back then probably could have found out a way to do it with other investors and stuff like that. Um, I would have for sure. That's how I would have jumped in. That's one thing that I would do differently. Bigger, sooner. Um, what would I do differently? Um, if I was 20, so if I, I would have bought just with the timing of how everything's worked, everything that I looked at back then, I would have bought, I would have tried to buy everything. There was, I was selective just like I am now. And probably if we're another seven years ahead in the future, now looking back, I'll probably say the same thing. Everything I'm looking at today, for sure, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, I would look back today and say everything, one thing that I would change. So the 20, what year will it be 25 years from now? So in 2046, if you ask me what I did it different, if what I, if I could go back, what I would do different in 2021, it would be like every freaking deal that I looked at in 2021, I should have bought and found a way to bought it. It. I should have found a way. I should have found a way. So, but that's also just like you also have to buy the right deals and you know, all that stuff too. I'm trying to buy the for sure things. And when I say for sure things, I mean even in the short term too. Because if I just bought everything I looked at, there'd be some really rocky times probably over the next two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. If I could find a way to get through those 10 years, 20 years out, 30 years out, you know, you'd be fine with everything that you're buying, in my opinion. What else could I do differently, though? What else would I have done differently? Um, um, I mean, <laughs> uh, so then buying off the first big deal, what, what I would have done differently there is to better uh, plan for capital expenditure projects that um oh tom said he's posted what up on both on okay yeah that makes sense all right um <laughs> i'm just like amazed all this stuff another thing that i would have done differently is the first larger asset that i bought i would have had a better plan for um and even this is this has happened even since then is have a better plan for some of the bigger capital expenditures that were coming up um the first deal really had no plan for it didn't think about the roof didn't think about the boilers whatever um recent deals i've had I've definitely had thoughts on it, but now it's like, okay, probably should have probably should have raised an extra, an extra one to three thousand dollars more per unit going into the deal just to give us a little bit more cushion on our remodels and stuff like that. So that's the second thing that I'd probably go back and do different. Um, other than that, though, I don't think so. Tom asks, will I ever build new? I think at some point I'll build new. It's just a matter of when. It's just a completely different beast. I, the thing about buying, uh, building new is you don't have cash flow from day one covering the debt. So now you're going into debt, and it's like it's the same thing. Why I, I really haven't taken on much debt in Prime Painters because it's so early in the stage. I want to be able to fund it with cash I already have because it's it's just a different beast. There's not already cash flow there. I have zero problem taking out debt, obviously, on a 200 unit apartment building because it's already a it's already a business. It's already a cash flow producing business with us having the ability to add value to it. Um, so yeah, I think at some point we'll build new, it's just a matter of when and um, what the opportunities are. And yeah, next question, Medine. What's my process for finding off-market multifamily assets? Um, my, we're gonna try this out now. Yeah, Is it working right now? Um, Doesn't really look like it. My process for finding off-market multifamily assets is 
I mean, I, I have, I now have a subscription to CoStar, which is, I don't know, almost $20,000 a year. Um, but that, that's helped. Um, before that, I um, would, and I still do today, drive the streets. Um, I've gotten to the point now where I've driven so much that I know about like all the multifamily buildings in the markets I'm looking at here in Wisconsin. Um, but drive the streets. If you're just starting drive the streets, write down addresses of buildings that look appealing to you. It doesn't matter if it's a single family home to flip or to buy and rent or whatever duplex, four unit, eight unit, 16 unit. Once again, bigger is always better, but write down that address. Then what I would do is I would find a way to get a hold of those people. So whether there's a management signed out front or I, I want to, I want to talk to the owner. I want to talk to the decision maker. If there's a management sign out front, sometimes you can call the manager. Sometimes they'll relay you to the owner. If it's a management company, they will try to probably protect the owner and the owner's identity and probably won't give that information to you. Um, and if they won't, then you'll have to look them up. You'll have to look up the property address and the tax parcel. You can go to the government website, look up the tax parcel, search the address, right? It's going to give you what who the owner is. A lot of times these, these multifamily assets will be held in the LLC. If it's held in the LLC in the state of Wisconsin, you can go to another government website, just a, a, um, the state website basically, and look up LLCs. And in there you can see who the registered agent is. And that's going to be a person. That person will either be an owner, will be a property manager, or will be an attorney. And you just got to then look that person up on white pages. Um, to be able to get their phone numbers or the available phone numbers that white pages have for them and start down the list and then you just hit them up, right? So that's how you, that's that's part of the process for uh, finding off-market off deals. Now, as, as you become a closer, as you start to close deals, you become more known. These deals will actually start to find you every now and then. Right now I'm working on a, a just under $30 million deal that came to my attention like two months ago that's off-market. Um, and the seller came to me because you know, he's, he knows who I am through, through networking and stuff like that. Hey, would you have interest in buying my building? Um, so that starts to happen as you start to have success. Currently two brokers will have pocket deals, which are deals that sellers will tell them about, Hey, I would sell this thing. I don't want to do a, a full marketing campaign with it. I want to keep it quiet. And so when brokers have those pocket deals, as you start to become a closer and well-known as well, they will bring those deals to you. So that becomes another source. But when you're first just starting, it's got to be all you. You got to put it, it's, it's all on your shoulders to go out and to make contacts, to get to know people, to write down addresses, to find out who owns them and, and start making calls, start showing up at the offices to find out and um, start having those conversations. Maudine, next question. How many lives do we have on uh, YouTube right now? Or on Facebook, climbing. I would love to challenge anyone else right now to come in and talk about some of these topics and questions while Ryder is over there fooling around with, Dude. <laughs> what is that called again? The mobile. The gimbal, but. The, so he's fooling around the gimbal, which is supposed to stabilize my phone when I'm on Instagram. And it's not, and like he's monking around with it that lasts like seven minutes right now. And it's like, <laughs> I've seen it out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, what is going on over there? Oh. So is it on? Yeah, it is. We just don't know what the issue is. All right. All right. Um, the next question is, and then how long have we been in this already? Like 20 minutes, 25 minutes? Um, what's the best way to start building my, or no, how long have we been in this, Muddy? 40. 40 minutes already. Jesus, time flies when you have I love doing this. This is awesome. 
what's the best way to start building real estate portfolio? First time buyer, never bought before. Um, so I'm assuming if you're asking the, the question this way, I'm assuming you already have the money for it. Um, so if you already have the money for it, you got to get out and look at multiple deals, dozens of deals. Um, that's what I would do I would, I, in, a, in the shortest window of time in, in the shortest window of time. I would go out and look at as many deals as possible to get comfortable with being on site, looking at deals. You're going to be able to start comparing, uh, different things. And, uh, you guys need some back there somewhere. Yeah. One of the buckets. Um, so you got, you got to go out and look at as many properties as possible in a short, in a small window, in the, in the smallest window as possible, the time frame as possible. Um, and you're going to get, be able to compare properties, right? You're going to know the price points that, that they're being offered at. By the way, if a deal is, does not have a listing price, ask the broker what the whisper price is. And they're going to give you a whisper price, which is a ballpark price of what they think they're going to be at. Right? So as you go look at more and more deals, you're going to get a better idea of what people are expecting for pricing. Now, when you start to do this and you learn, you start to figure out, okay, wait, they're asking $130,000 a door for this property, but this property, they're asking $140,000 a door and it's like a lot newer. It's like 30 years newer. There's a lot less work, right? So what, like when you notice that thing, that might make that $140,000, uh, $140,000 per unit um, property much more appealing, right? Yes, you're paying more per unit, but it has a lot less deferred maintenance than some of these other properties that are $130,000 a door. But you're never gonna know that if you don't go and look at the properties, right? If you don't go and get on site of the, at the properties. Um, so get out and look at deals. Um, the, the next best way, once again, is to be able to get into a deal that you can force appreciation, um, where you can make the property worth more in two years based on the decisions that you make running that business because that property is a business and when you buy it you have to operate it like a business in order to do what we've done where we make a property go from six million to twelve million dollars in five years right so you so but if you can find if your first deal is that way where you can you know whether it's a four unit eight unit 16 unit whatever where you can add value like that now you might have the opportunity to turn $20,000 into $150,000 over a span of two to three years. You might, right? It's not guaranteed, but you might. It looks like it's working now. Yeah, but. Um, so that, that's, that, that would be my first few steps. That's what I would look for. Um, I'm trying to think of what are the best ways first time buyer never bought before. Um, then, you know, and if you're a first time buyer too, you got to decide, like, do you want to do the operations or not? Because someone's got to do it, right? So you either you might need a partner that's willing to, you might have to team up with a property manager, or a property management company, right? Um, anytime you, you know, have a property management company that has no ownership interest in a building, I'm always leery of that just because they're not as incentivized to do what you want done to the property. So that's something to figure out too as a first time first time buyer. Um, are you gonna just be, is it gonna be four units, eight units where you're gonna be the person, right? So that way if you're on vacation, they're gonna call you. I, I don't know, right? You got, it's something to think about if it's your first buy. Or do you wanna get involved more with, with a syndicator who has a great track record, right? Like what we're doing, there's people that make good money. This person did not ask about money. So I'm assuming they have the money. Um, 
there's a lot of people that invest with us who have a lot of money, but real estate's not what they do, right? And we offer investments that, you know, should be able to get, look at that, twist it a little, turn it a little bit. Yes. That should be able to get 2.25 to 3X plus in four to 10 years. Um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to multiply their equity, right? So decide, do you want to be the person that actually buys it? Um, and then what you're, what are you going to, how are you going to manage that thing? How are you going to get it to perform? How are you going to get your money to truly work for you and multiply over the years? Or do you want to invest with someone else? There's nothing wrong with that, right? While you keep going out and doing you and making money, right? To then dump into more deals that are more passive for you. So, and even if they're passive, even if they're, you know, a syndication or whatever, you still should pay attention to it, right? You still should know what's going on a little bit and pay attention to the updates that you get. Um, whether it's quarterly or annually. We got some questions up there. Um, Greg Martin wants to invite me to Clubhouse. What's my number? I'm already on Clubhouse and dang it, we forgot to go on Clubhouse again. So can I wiggle this around a little bit? Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. All right, cool. Finally, 50. 50 minutes a rider messing around with this. Messing around with this, we're finally in practice here. Look at this thing. Pretty cool though. Oh, it is. Um, gotcha. Okay. Fifty minutes of distracting me, trying to do a podcast for the people. Greg, I'm already on Clubhouse. I just I have not used it very much, so I gotta I gotta use it. Um, Greg, what you should do if you're on Clubhouse, find find twenty people on there who want to learn about real estate, and then let's start a room, and I'll I'll start a room with you. You the, the goal for you is you get people in the room, and I'm giving this, you this challenge, Greg, because Greg is like a superstar. I think last week this is the same guy that was asking yeah. questions on like multiple platforms. Um, so Greg, if you can get like 20, 30 people together, do that, and let's like co-host a room or whatever. And I'll get in and talk about real estate a little bit. And I think we should start next week. Can you guys remind me, like, hey, get your iPhone so that I can get my the iPhone. iPhone. I have an extra one, yeah. Just for Clubhouse. <laughs> but I haven't even used it. Um, so remind me that we have the iPhone to get on so we can just start messing around with Clubhouse too. Um, yeah, Greg's just loving the Clubhouse. Um We're not getting through them all today because I got other stuff. I got, yeah. How many do we have left? Eight left. Um, so then Colin on YouTube asked, what's the best advice for a 24-year-old wanting to get into the field? Uh, he's about two years away from having enough capital to do anything on my own or with a team, but still would like to learn until then. So if you're two years away, Colin, and... Uh, and Colin says, love your content, so relevant to the beginners in the in the experience. Thanks, Colin. It means a lot, dude, because when I was starting this, Colin, um, my whole real estate thing, it was hard to find stuff like this, and now there's a lot of people out there on social media that are doing this thing, so that's why I think um, I love doing it so much. I'm able to help a lot of people, and it gives me more exposure, exposure too, and helps me get um, uh, other investors and all that stuff. So, uh, Colin, the best advice, the coolest thing is you're two years ahead, right? So if you can't really, if you're not really planning on doing anything two year, until two years from now because you don't have enough capital, you know, whatever. Um, and, and by the way, if you don't have enough capital, go find some partners who have some capital. You could start today if that's the only limiting issue. But if it does take you two years, it gives you, it gives you time to learn, right? 
So you have to once again find those mentors and get in and learn. Learn and make as much money as you can in those two years and save that money to invest for when that time comes to invest so you so that you can have 400, 600, 800,000 two years from now to be able to dump into the one deal that you find that's gonna blow you up, right? So that's the advice that I would give you. Learn as much as you can, get out and start looking at property even though once again, you might be 24 months, 36 months away. I started looking at property 36 months before I bought something. And I just started looking at deals, looking at deals. I, I would get the financials. I would understand the financials. I would ask myself what I would do differently, where I could save money, right? So I was already practicing before I could do it. So that's what I would recommend that, uh, that you do, that you go do. Um, let's go to the next question, Muddy. And this actually might be the last question. Oh, this is Ryder's question. You rigged that up pretty good. I want to see if there's another one on Instagram real quick. Yeah, you or did Maudine put this together? Well, he put it together. You mean like the cropping? Well, no, your question happened to get in. Oh, oh, I see. Put happened to be in the top eight of the 20 questions that we had. Uh... So this is from Ryder. Would you recommend buying a car in cash or financing it if you can to make a better return? Opportunity cost, yeah. So when I first, I don't, I, this whole freaking car thing, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, when I bought my first car, I, I actually leased it. The reason I leased it, because it was the least amount of capital in up front, and then, um, which on the back end though, I ended up, ha I went over in miles, so I ended up having to pay a little bit in. So really what I probably should have done is found a car that would have fit my budget to lease it for like maybe two years instead of, instead of, um, cause I had a longer, a little bit longer lease than that. And so it looked attractive up front. Up. But, but what it helped me do is it helped me put the least amount down as possible so that, that I could go buy the next four unit. Right. And I needed less money down on that four unit, but I still needed money down. So it was it was a difference maker, even though it was a few thousand dollars for me back then. It was a difference maker. And the the few thousand dollars, like I would still spend like at that point in time, I was still spending money like going to these certain like events for AdvoCare and stuff, which was to grow my team and grow myself. Right. So a couple thousand dollars, like if I had to put it towards an event, it was it was a big difference. So at my point in time back then, me leasing it with as little down up front as, as possible and smallest monthly payments just made sense because then by the time, maybe it was like, well, yeah, I just got rid of that car a year and a half ago. So that whole time, two years ago maybe. So that whole time, like even though I got behind, I ended up owing maybe like $5,000. For me to write the $5,000 check by that time, five years, six years later, it didn't matter. as much, It mattered more on the front end, right? But looking back on it, I probably would have tried to maybe do, maybe another option would be try to do something that's a little bit shorter lease um, but you know, but then I can answer this question from the prime painter side, like one, one truck of prime painters, we have financed, we pay it. Now, when I bought the second truck, I didn't want to have to finance the second truck because prime painters still is still early on in prime painters. We had the cat, like I had, we, we had the cash. So I just paid 18 grand. Got You know, so we have that one in cash. So just kind of depends on I, I, the car, the car one. I, I don't freaking like car salesmen, you know? What about your current? My current one is owned by the business. There's, uh, we have a fleet of vehicles now. I can't remember if there's debt on that or not, but it's owned by Spalding Group. So it's a business vehicle. Um, 
I don't know, Ava, if Ava's watching, she knows if we have debt on that vehicle or not. I can't remember. Um, I, I would not, if I was buying a personal car and where you're at, I would not pay for the full thing. I know the one option I would not do is pay for the whole thing in cash today. Unless you're looking at buying, like, you know, which, which obviously, what are you looking at buying? Nothing right now. Nothing? Well, not right now. And obviously, I would try to buy something that's, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and if you, you know, the less, obviously, the least amount you can spend on a vehicle with where you're at right now, the better. Just right. keep saving more and, you know, all that stuff. Because then five years from now, six years from now, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you're spending 500 on a car, 200 on a car, 800 on a car, 1500 on a car, right? But that's the one route I wouldn't do. I likely would not pay for it all in cash. What do you mean? Yes, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So he goes to auctions and he has, yeah, yep. You can save big time money on that. Hook Ryder up there. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'm sure, and I'm sure, like, I just, but the car, the, the, dif the difference in the car, too, is the car gets you places that you need to be to meet the people that you need to meet and to do the things that you need to do to build a business, too, right? Um, and you can write off mileage and stuff. So, so a car is, is still, it's an investment, it's, a, it's an investment from the standpoint of it, it you can use it for tax deductions, right? So I always tell people you're better off, like you're better off having the money go into your business and it be spent on some poor marketing that you don't think really did anything because now at least it's a write-off, right? So from that standpoint, it's like, okay, well, it's a write-off, it's lowering my taxable income. At least it, it's worth something versus like the pair of shoes that you're going to buy, right? Um, so that's something to think about with the car too. Like it's 100% needed. So I don't look at the cars the same way as I look at, um, another one but but you also but you also like what's the bare minimum too right. that makes you still look semi-professional if you roll up because you also like someone's like well yeah buy an old beater well you don't really necessarily want to buy an old beater it rolling up to some of the paint job like right. rolling up to the five hundred thousand dollar house that you gave a paint job on the other day right. you don't want to roll up in a beater they right. probably wouldn't have signed with with you right? right like so so you you just have to be cognizant of all that i don't know if that answers your question or not I'm just trying not to like throw out a BS answer that I can't stand by or whatever. I just know the route that I would I wouldn't pay for a personal vehicle would not pay for all all of it so in cash. I think it helps fill my mind to try to do that just yeah. because you don't have interest. But I think last year has changed. Mm -hmm. I think I understand the yep. opportunity cost yep. not. Yep. So like if that so like you have to look at the difference, right? Because if that difference is the difference in you, and I'm just using a simple example here, if that difference that you're gonna pay in cash for your car is the difference of upgrading two apartments in your new place that you then wouldn't be able to do, right. then obviously getting those apartments done to raise the rents, right. by far the wiser. So now for sure take debt on the car, right? right? But the debt that you take on the car, make sure it's not like a crate, don't go buy a, a you know $70,000 car, right? right? Maybe a $12,000 car, a $9,000 car, something that's still professional and looks fine, you know, whatever, right? So that's that. All right, next. What's your biggest failure as an investor and how did you overcome it? I think I just go back to, I keep talking about the one thing, which is when I, 
when we bought the Delvin property, we did I did not account for having to replace the 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 boilers, having to replace the roof, having um I also didn't I also didn't account for like we just went in right away and blew through a budget, a remodel budget like overnight, like really freaking quick. Went through $150,000, which $150,000 I also learned that was a mistake. I only got $150,000 out for a rehab budget on an 88 unit building. Should have probably been more like uh probably should have been more like $880,000 I probably should have got out. Um, now we ended up making it fine, right? Which I always say that because people hear that and like, so we ended up making it fine. We ended up having a plan and getting it covered and you know, whatever. But that was, those, those were some mistakes. Um, now they weren't like crippling or, you know, whatever, but if I would have gone back and done it differently, that's what I would have done there because ultimately it would have put us further ahead. Same thing with over at, you know, Springdale, Springdale apartments. I would have raised probably another extra 300 to $500,000. Just because we're going, I see the clip that we're going through some of that money and some of the things that have come up, right? So now this next deal that I have coming up that is going to be somewhere between, we're going to land somewhere between, you know, in the 20s, in the 20s of millions of dollars. Um, that deal we're going to bring, we're probably going to bring more like $11,000 per door to the deal extra to be able to do rehab. One way or another, whether it's a loan or whether it's like straight cash or a combination of both. So that we have plenty, I'm not going to mess around again at being a thousand or five thousand dollars per door. I'm just going to get extra um, so that we can for sure take care of everything. If you can take care of the asset, um, you're going to be you're going to be good long term. You just got to be able to find a way to make sure you can take care of the asset, put money back into the asset um, and get the, you know, the unexpected always, you know, you're, you're closing, getting pushed back, Ryder. Like I, what I what, what do I say every time? It, Everything takes longer than you expect. It always takes longer. Than you thought it was going to, and it's always it always costs more than you think it's going to. Always, everything the roof always costs more than you thought it was going to. Be. Tony, Tony asked me if I closed, and I said no. It got delayed a week back, and then he goes, "You guys just know he says it takes longer." <laughs> Maudine's learning up in here, yeah, yep. So, but but that's the truth. Like, and that's the same thing I said to you. I'm like, oh, you closing because this was yesterday. You were supposed to close today, February 26th. Uh, right? No, wait, yes. What, what is today? No, Today's Friday. Friday. You were supposed to close yesterday. Yeah. So yesterday was Thursday. So you're supposed to close on the 25th. So yesterday, I'm like, wait, aren't you closing? Or did I say that on Wednesday? I can't even no, remember no, my days. Yesterday. yesterday, I'm like, wait, aren't you closing today? You're like, oh, no, it got pushed back to March 8th or whatever. I'm like, hey, what'd I say? You know, it always takes longer and costs more than you think it's going to. Always. Always. But that's okay. You just keep shooting for it. It doesn't mean you lower your goal. You, you, you probably even just make the goal bigger overall. I'm not talking about like closing on a property. What do you mean goal? Like, but anytime you're short on a sales goal or how many units you want to have or whatever, your body weight, whatever, if you get to the deadline or get close to the deadline and it pushes back a little bit, at that point, don't shrink your goals. At that point, make your goals bigger, right? Expand. I talked about this on one of the other uh, podcasts and I'm not going to explain it again. So if you're curious by this, go back through the podcast and listen to them. But we talked about expanding that hula hoop right? You got it. Remember that? Yeah, I think you popped up. Yeah, Maudine was here. So you got to expand that hula hoop, right? You if you if you're standing in the hula hoop, I hope people are like, what the hell is he talking about this hula hoop right now? If you're wondering, I'm not going to explain the whole thing, because I'm gonna get it. That'll be a two hour rant. Uh, you're standing in the hula hoop, and you're reaching um, your goals. And you're going to be short, do not lower your goals. Make your goals bigger at that point. And then chase from there. So, all right, next question. 
How much? Uh, let's see. This person's question is: How much do I need to invest to get on board? Starting square footage, starting San Francisco port on my own. I don't know. SF port, Sm small single family portfolio. Is that it? Probably. All right. So he said, "This is the question. Let's restate it." He used some abbreviations, and I had to figure it out there. How much I? How much do I need? to invest to get on board question mark <laughs> then it says starting single family portfolio on my own i want to do more um this single family game the single family portfolio i'm telling you i know a guy here in southern wisconsin he's got like 85 something like that single family and i'm like dude you, he 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 put a picture on on facebook and we've always gone back and forth he's like i don't get how you can pay the numbers you're paying per unit i'm like dude stop looking at one thing Stop looking at just the per unit because he's wanted to buy a house for like 30 grand or whatever. And he, fixed, and he does a great job. I'm not saying that, but tax seasons, when the, when the uh, tax, the property taxes came out, he has 83 units, all 83 single family properties. His, ta his stack of envelopes on the tax bill is like literally like a, a 12, it would, it would fit, it would barely fit in a 12 inch tall by probably 18 inch wide, 18 inch wide box. I mean, there was just stacks of it. I'm like, dude, you wanna see my stack at 700 units? And it's, well now with this duplex portfolio, it's a little bit off, but still it's the same thing, like much less. So just, just talking about the single family, he also talks like, man, it is a logistical and administrative like nightmare sometimes because you have 83 units, all different properties, right? So, before you start this single family portfolio, what I would really recommend that you do, I'm not saying that this is wrong for you to do. What about looking at this alternative? What if you start buying the single families? Can you, with these deals you're looking at, can you buy these and then have the mindset of, okay, if I have to hold on to them, I'll hold on to them and rent them. But can I get in and out of that deal in six months and turn the 20,000 into 40,000 because of the rehab that I did? And just, <laughs> Jesus. They died. We're having issues with that thing. Stabilizer ain't so stable. Uh, um, can I get in and out of these deals a little bit quicker to make to, to stack up my bank account to now go out and buy a 16 unit? Can I do more of these deals and get a business in play, plan in place where I flip five houses? I don't just build a single family portfolio, but I find a way to add value to these houses, flip them, stack cash to now dump, dump into, dump that cash into 16 unit, 24 unit, 32 unit, right? That's that's what I would do. Um, how much do you need to get you know to invest? I mean, if you're looking at starting your own thing, you don't you you don't always need money even. Now people are asking me, well, what do you like? People are gonna say, well, what do you mean? Because there was just a guy that asked, what should I do with thirty thousand dollars? How do I invest it? And you said, well, to invest in itself. Yes, that's because thirty thousand dollars really isn't that much money to invest. But. Talking on the other side of my mouth, I'm very contradictory to myself. I'm a con I'm a walking contradiction. Um, now I just forgot what I was gonna say. You're a walking contradiction. <laughs> oh, but then out of the other side of my mouth, I'm a walking contradiction. You can you don't need a lot of money to invest. You can have partners, right? You don't need all this money. You can there's ways you can do it with zero money, right? I mean, if you're looking to do, truly, if you truly want to start a single family portfolio, you can probably get started doing that, I don't know, $3,000. How much are you, well, you're putting down 
15 a mile. Okay, you're putting... And then I'm uh, So are you having to put 20% down because of... I got 15. Okay. All right. So with the single family stuff, though, if you're having to put 3 to 5% down right now and then figure out the rehab budget, I mean, you're looking probably three to maybe $30,000, depending on what you're buying. Now, if you can wholesale these single families... You might not need any money. You get them under contract and you can wholesale them. I'm not, I'm not into whole, I don't do wholesales. I know how they work. I could easily do them. I'm not the person to give you straight up advice on all the detail of how to do it. There's plenty of people out there that do it successfully. Go look at them. I would view this single family thing as how can I make as much money as possible in the next year so that then I can go start a multifamily portfolio starting with maybe four units, starting maybe with eight units, 16 units. That's what I would do. Going out with the intent to have a single family portfolio, I mean, long term doesn't make me excited. And it might make you excited. And so I don't want to like, and it might be how you have success. And like a lot of people have success doing this. In my mind though, and in my honest opinion, it is way harder to have success doing that long term than it is doing these larger deals. So next question. Instagram, I think Instagram just knows I don't look at the phone enough. People don't ask questions on here anymore. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear about Spalding Group's business model, the properties you look at, and why those. Um, I guess I'm always looking at how can we get our best return on the equity that we put in. So that's the first thing that I always look at. And I would, I would go to size like I just did, but now there's always going to be rule breakers, right? Um, like I'm someone that I said, I'm never going to buy duplexes, right? I just freaking bought 32 of them, right? So, so once again, I'm a walking contradiction, I'm, but the reason that we bought those 32, I'm looking at my, so my first thing is return on equity. If I'm, if I'm, you know, how, how what, what can I turn this $40,000 into? What can I turn this $300,000 into the $10 million we just raised from investors? I'm sitting here and I'm like, what can we, what? How can we just multiply and explode this $10 million, uh, $10 million of equity that our investors put in? And this deal, the reason that we bought these 32 duplexes was because it was a part of a portfolio. And the 32 duplexes, um, you know, we bought like on, on average across the board, we paid ballpark 350 to 380 per, per duplex, not per door, per duplex, right? That was average per door, 350 to 380, somewhere that I'm not sitting right from the, I think it was closer to 380. Comps in the area are going for between 550 and 620. And there's not very many of them. And when they come on the market, they're gone in like three days. What does that mean? It's a seller's market, right? So a year from now, not, not even a year from now, hopefully our first sale is like a year from now, but odds are we'll probably put the first one out on the market maybe like in December. Now, I don't want to release too many at the same time and like, you know, like hurt my own, hurt my own sales potential potentially by releasing too many, but we might have one or two that we put on the market at a time, right? Starting in December next year, I'm waiting till December because I want to wait till the sh I want to wait till short term capital gains goes away, which it takes a year. You got to hold on to something for a year for that to go away, um, and then we'll be in we'll be in. You got to wait a year to get long term capital gain. No, sorry, you got to wait a year and hold it at least a year, 365 days, in order to not pay short-term capital gains, which is a higher tax rate than the long-term capital gains. I say that right? Yeah. Okay. 
In my mind, I'm like thinking 18 steps ahead. That's what'd you say? You're still gonna pay capital gains, correct? Yeah, you still pay capital gains when we sell it because now there's probably a way in our documents that I could go get a vote from everyone that we have on board. And if we sold, like, if we were able to sell like maybe eight of those, like in, as a package deal and still get an amount, I could probably go get a vote with all of our investors to say, hey, do we want to just 1031 this forward? So we could do that. That is one, there's three things that I can't do really, two or three, three things that I can't do without investor approval. Every other decision I can make on my own, right? That's one of the three. So I couldn't just go 1031 those funds because we have other investors. I can't do that without their approval. So if we don't, if we don't go 1031 it, right now, yes, we'll pay the, we'll pay the long-term capital gains on that, which is a much shorter rate. It's like half the rate of short term. No, and it's different per state and, and everything. Too. So, um, so, and, and so we bought that for that reason, you know, I mean the, the deal we bought, like there's significant equity in there day one and we're already like, we're out and running. I mean, we're at 99% occupied. We have hardly any vacancies. Um, the stuff where we're sending out lease renewals and if people are not accepting the lease renewals, we're already setting up showing them pre-leasing stuff that, you know, for the spring. So, um, so stuff's going, going good there. Dennis, one of our investors asked, when's the next deal? Um, Dennis, I hope, man, I'm, I'm negotiating a little bit right now. Um, so I hope, I hope it's like, we're already at, we're already in March. Jesus. Um, I mean, two days from March, so it's technically March. So I'm thinking, I'm still hopeful for June, July that we'll close the next one. So that is, and I hope that we can land the one that we're, that we're kind of looking at. We're looking at multiple, but I got one that I kind of like over, over the others. Next question, Madin. Uh, what is my goal? What are my goals for Prime Painters this year? Any big changes from how you ran it in 2020? Uh, a little bit, just because I've found that our um, our 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 lead painters are pretty skilled. Um, so I don't know, like, at what point do we really need a project manager i don't know because i think if they're skilled enough they're able to kind of oversee that whole process um so that's something that might change um other changes we might start doing uh experimenting on some cabinet hanging and flooring uh, installing the flooring in our own apartments to try to we're not gonna be able to do it for less money uh it'll probably be about the same cost of the properties but hopefully what what i if we can make it so that we can shrink the time where it takes us 50% of the time as it does using all these other contractors. I would love to be able to get to that position. Um, what are big changes from 2020? Uh, we have a vendor agreement. We have a very good pricing agreement with our main vendor there. That'll really change thing because it changed things because it'll take our um, cost of goods sold from between 15% up to 20% um, down to uh, I shouldn't say all costs of goods sold, just basically all of our supplies and materials, it should take that down from 15 to 20% of revenue as an expense down to anywhere between nine and, and 14%. Ideally, I talk about this with Ryder every day, dude, we need to be between, we need to be at 12%. We need whatever we're charging for the job, we want our materials to be 12%, 12%. Because if we can do that with these lower prices, then we have more money to go towards branding, more money to go towards marketing. Um, you know, can be a little bit more competitive with what we're paying our painters, which we're already very competitive in our area because I just want to be able to get and retain the best people so we don't skip a beat. We can just crank out jobs. Um, um, so I, I'm hoping that we can somehow find a way to do $2 million this year. That'd be cool, 2021. 
So and if you're if you're following me on Instagram, you know it, uh, you know I put out like last April when I started this or whatever. We didn't start doing retail jobs till like May. So I'm really gonna say that I have until May to hit a million dollars in our first 12 months of operations of revenue. It's gonna be, I mean, it's gonna be tight. I don't know if we can do it or not. I'll we'll have, have a couple huge. If we do do it, Ryder, I'll have a couple big paychecks. But, um, um, so because I put that out there, I know some people are like, oh, no way, you're gonna be able to do that. And I'm like, well, just watch me. I'm like, well, so I might come up a little bit short on that. But I got till basically mid-May, end of April, mid-May. Um, but then this year, hopefully, hopefully, we find a way to get to two million. You know, in, in the in the calendar year of 2021. We gonna do it? I don't know. I mean, last month we did. Got it right here, actually. <laughs> January production was only thirty-four thousand four seventy-five, which was our worst month, just because of January. Let me see. Was it our worst month? Yep. Then this month, February, being a short month, being only twenty-eight days, we're gonna be at about, we're gonna be about fifty, fifty-five. Our biggest month last year was actually October. We did about 80, um, and we had to, it was so busy. Even actually before then, like like May through October, that entire time we didn't have the capacity to take on all the jobs, so we were having to say, nope, We can't, especially when we got down late into the season. Like, I can't tell you how many, when, when Roger was, I can't tell you how many people we just had to say no to or unless they're willing to go into the spring because we couldn't didn't have the production to be able to get it done before winter came and all these people wanted it done before winter. So that's why I'm hopeful I think these busy months that are coming up that that are May, June, July, August, and we're already starting to get busier um, right now. But I think once we hit May especially, it's really going to be cranking. So if we can have a big May, June, July, August, September, October, that's one, two, three, four, five, six months. And let's just say, let's just say, um, I'm just gonna do some math in my head. December, November. Let's say we at the at December, November next year be at the point we do seventy thousand dollars each month. That's one forty because those are slower months. And then let's say the one forty plus the so that's one eighty, two thirty, three hundred. So basically, we have to have seven hundred thousand. If we can do one point seven million in basically April through October. <laughs> which that sounds daunting and crazy right now but you know we're about to see so 1.7 so what is that 1.7 in what six months so that's uh <clears throat> 250 average right all part what, uh, how many months 1.7 in six months gotta do five grand <laughs> so which that's doable you did like how much did you do yesterday but you just did, how'd you do a day? How'd you come up with a day? You did. That's including Saturdays. I was going to say. I was going to say. <laughs> We're probably looking at like 12. You can work Saturday and Sundays. I mean. Maybe in the summer. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the goals. And we just chase, you know? It's like, I mean, a year ago right now, I didn't even know, like, it was, I didn't even know we were starting a painting company until basically it'll be a year in about three weeks. That's basically when I said, all right, we're starting a painting company. It was basically two weeks. It was seven to 14 days after the world shut down from COVID uh, last year. You know, and it's crazy too. Like, I just know there's a ton of, there's a, so much opportunity in the contracting industry, just being able to just get like, and you know this rider from doing it, but just being able to pick up the phone and say, hey man, I can be out there this afternoon and give you an estimate. And then they're thinking it's gonna be like two weeks before they see a number because all these other companies, and then you get them a number the same day. 
they're like, oh wait, I got a number this. And now like we're just so we're like closing jobs before other people. I guarantee we've probably closed a lot of jobs because we've been out there with it and gotten them an estimate and signed the estimate within like 36 hours. And other people they had scheduled to come out maybe the next week. That Burlington job. Yeah, the yeah, <laughs> the Burlington like job. And yeah, seven thousand dollar job, and they call, hey, can you guys do it? Yeah. Riders like, I'll be out there, and that's that's the point. So like, having a sales rep in our company being more professional company, I think that we're gonna have an opportunity to do that. Now the production though, the production is gonna be the so if we have to average two fifty a month, that means we'll have to have. Um, let me do some math on Excel. I know I have all the math done already. Didn't know off the top of my head. So if it's 250, 60. It's 624. So we're going to need, we, we would basically need on average those busy months. We would basically need on average rider 30 painters. We're at like 10. We're going to be at, we're about to be at 10 with some of these guys I'm hiring right now. So on average, so that means by the end of the year, we might have to be like around 38 painters to make up for what we're, we're not going to have in like March, April, which this is doable. It's doable, but that's why I'm on your ass all the time about stacked and getting like, dude, just get them out. Like, let's start pumping them out so you get better at it. Because now, when you can fill two hours for, of your time and on stack doing some of those commercial jobs, and we get like that, just helps bump it up, right? So it's possible. That's the goal. So, all right, next question. This is gonna be the last one. What is S slash D? Oh, how should? All right. How should I propose my parents to let me use um, home equity line of credit over $500,000 on their property to invest? You got to show them the plan, man. You got to show them the, the business plan. You got to show them like, you know, I mean, hopefully the 500,000, number one, if that's going to cripple them, if anything were to go wrong, I shouldn't do it. But if they have a $4 million house and there's only $40,000 of debt right now, it's stupid of them not to do it. So I don't know the actual situation, but if it's a, a $600,000 house and you're asking them to do 500,000, I don't know, maybe say, hey, can you guys do 200,000 of the home equity line of credit, right? But you gotta show them the plan. What's gonna be the return, right? What's it cash flowing right now, day one? What are we gonna do to improve the asset? What are we gonna do to improve the cash flow? What are we, you know, how long are we planning to hold this thing? And what happens if we have to hold it longer? What happens, right? What happens if they have some type of health issue? Do they have other, because if your parents are 60, 65, 70, who knows, right? Even if they're 50, even if they're 40, like all of us, what happens? What happens? What happens if they get sick? They have other money that they don't have to, you don't have to turn around and sell the property to get the money to take care of them then? Because anytime you get into a deal and then you have to sell it, you're not going to get the full price. So that's just stuff to think about. I don't, I don't, um, you got to show them a business plan. I, I would not view them as your as your parents. I would view them as business partners. So you, you got to realize people wear multiple hats, right? Like, and you got to realize that at that point, like you got to view this as a business relationship. Not just have them give you the money just because they're your parents. What, what, like, what 
What gain are they going to get? How is this going to benefit them? They should be asking you the same questions any other investor, or any other business person would be asking. Keep keep the keep that relation those relationships semi separate. Put on the other hats of what type of relationship when you're talking about this stuff. That's that's how I would do it. What's the plan? All right. I think that's all we got for today. I got to take care of some other stuff. So, um, cool guys, thank you so much for joining Justin Spalding episode 10. Yes, we are going to get um, other episodes. I know right now I have people asking me, hey, I love listening to this on Spotify actually, because they like um, listening to it while they're working or while they're driving or whatever. It's just easier for them to use. So yes, we're gonna start getting the rest of these up on Spotify, up on Apple. Um, it's gonna take us a little bit of time, but it'll just be audio. Until then, please go, if you have not yet, please go and subscribe. Uh, please go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, that'd be awesome. We've gone from like, we're up like 30% on YouTube and our subscribers. Oh. Yeah, just in like a month, month and a half. Just since we started doing this podcast, I feel like we've almost doubled. I don't know. From 350 to 700. I mean, it's nothing crazy, but it's kind of cool. So, uh, but yeah, go subscribe. That'd be awesome if you could subscribe to the YouTube. Share it. Share this, please, with anyone that you think would get benefit out of it. I don't want you just to share with anyone and spam someone, but if you truly think they can get benefit out of what we're talking about here, whether it's money, finances, whatever, or if you think they have questions or they've asked you a similar question before and you don't know how to answer it, hey, have them submit a question to us so we can answer it next week on Justin Spaulding's show, episode 11. But for today, this is a wrap of Justin Spaulding, episode 10. Thank you guys so, so much for doing this and joining. I have a lot of fun and enjoyment out of um, providing this stuff to you. So thank you guys. We'll talk to you.